This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, peeps? Welcome back to Rebranded Safety. Today, we're going to try and cover one of our first kind of little case study focus episodes. We're not going to formalize this too much and have like a structured mini series or anything. We just want to try and do some episodes focusing around a problem, a solution, and our journey to that solution. I will admit that in this first attempt at doing that structure, because we don't really like structure and rebounding safety, we probably get a little bit too much into the problem and a couple of tangents. But let's jump into the intro and I'll tell you some more about it. Let's go. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution and one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviors. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk What's up peeps, welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is a YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the tin so if you're new here hit subscribe hit bells and all that all that algorithm stuff my name's James McPherson, I'm your host and I'm from Risk Fluent Limited. Today we're talking to a lovely lady from, uh, a, well I'm not going to say where she's from actually, I'll let her do it because it, it's kind of part of the story. And um, she kind of approached us when we said on LinkedIn a while ago, if you haven't seen it, um, I'm going to tell you about it. So we wanted to do a bit of a focus on talking about problems that people have sold and essentially kind of like case study type stuff, right? So what was the problem? What did you think the solution was and, and your journey to that? Because I think we have suffered the way the, the, West, the rest of the the rest of the profession has suffered e.g we're just talking theory we're not really talking about people that are actually out there doing shit actually out there doing the stuff so we want to try as many episodes as we can around this where we can talk about a problem that you identified how you identified it how you thought you were going to solve that with the solution and then your journey to solving that and what the kind of end result was or if you're still on that journey where you are now so if you have a problem that you're dealing with you're a good way through that journey and you want to talk about it please approach me you can email me james at riskfluentltd.com um, if you've solved a problem and you've done that and you think oh yeah that was a really good case study how i did this you know come on and celebrate that story just email me james at riskfluentltd.com we would love to have you on we want more and more people coming on talking about that the way that we're doing stuff i want to more people to listen to this and take that one idea away and go oh that one won't work but that one will work that's exactly my problem and we could all help each other become better and that is what we're doing today so this is the first one of our little case study uh, episodes like i say we probably focused on the problem a little bit too much went down a couple of tangents a little bit too much um lesson for me to learn there and to try and rein it in on this because we're not used to structure here on rebranding safety um, but ultimately um it's a good conversation i hope you enjoy it and i'll see you on the other end let's go tiffany welcome to the podcast thank you very much james nice to be here yeah, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for kind of coming forward and saying as well, like, oh, wait, um, let me turn my phone on silent um, and saying you wanted to come on. That's really, it's much easier for us when people come to <laughs> us and say we would like to run a podcast than, uh, than us having to shoot, you know, go around and find them. Um, do you want to give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you do? 
Cool. So yeah, I'm yeah, I'm Tiffany Argent. I'm a I'm currently a customer engagement executive for a tech company called Safety Culture. And um, my background is that I've worked as a health and safety manager for the last it makes me sound really old, but 17 plus years um, in manufacturing, freight forwarding, logistics, science um, is where I started my my trade, I suppose, back in the day. And um, over that time, it's it's been a lot of learning on the job as well as, you know, doing the qualifications and all that kind of thing. But um, I'm kind of like to be one of those hands on, get my fingernails dirty kind of health and safety people um, and moving away from that what that kind of when people say oh what job do you do you go oh I'm a health and safety manager and and you don't want to kind of say it too loud um you know I'm proud of what I do um because of how I do it I feel so that kind of as I say understanding risk understanding the frontline workforce and what they do on a day-to-day basis rather than sitting in an ivory tower and being a keyboard warrior um so really sort of just being involved and that helps you become more aware and be able to I think do your day-to-day in a lot lot Mm. more educated aware um perspective do you think because I I hear that a lot like um there's a lot of people out there that will say um you know I wanted to I didn't want to be a safety professional it just sits in the in the office and write up and I I think Mm -hmm. we all we all kind of say that um and, I, and, I, and I, it's right, 100%. I agree with what you're saying. Um, and I was reading an article the other day and um, in, in a safety magazine and the, the person was kind of being interviewed and they said, oh, I'm, I'm a bit different from everyone else. I like <laughs> to get out and talk to everybody. And I was like, it's not that different anymore. Like, no. do you, I mean, what do you think? Do you think, I think that's, that there is a bit of a perception of like oh, health and safety 100% that still happens now it literally happened to me like last week um but i'm not i'm not sure anymore that it is because we're not out of the office anymore i don't know i mean what do you think do you think that safety professionals there's still a lot of professionals that are still stuck in the office i think there are um and i've experienced working with them to be fair um they didn't uh, and and that I do maybe think there are people that I suppose it's the old school that they've got those that have been in their industry and have stayed in that one industry. They've become to that level of where they don't feel they need to because they're now managing people below them. They, you know, mm. or they're too important and that kind of thing. So I do think there are definitely people out there like that. Yeah. Um, but I, I like the way that I think Aker wrote a white paper on the, the, the forward thinking aspect of what a safety professional will be in the future. And we're moving away from that kind of policeman waggy finger kind of aspect that when I first started, that's what I was told my job was, was to make sure people didn't do stuff unsafe. Mm. It was, you know, I would go in and be the the rottweiler as such in in a building to, you know, go shout them if they did it wrong. But Mm. over time, I realized that didn't work. Mm. So, you know, that's why I say learning on the job of of how to be a safety professional and, uh, and learning from other people that, just being a, a normal, I think it's it, it's a characteristic. It's the it's the way I'd want to do it. So yeah, going down and speaking to people, yeah, that's lovely. But I again, I'm, I don't want to be one of those. Well, I do it differently. I actually, you know, I I spent a day in their shoes. Yeah, yeah. So I I learned how to. I, I got my forklift license, so mm. I knew how to drive a forklift, rather than the theory of how to drive a forklift. We yeah. use, I use the terminology, it's you can, you know, you can, uh, if you're all educated and you've got your certificates, 
coming out your backside. You know, it's great to have, you know, you can draw a spanner, but can you use one? Can you actually put that into practice? Um, so I say I see a lot of these safety professionals putting all these certificates that they've done. Look how many certificates I did during lockdown. Great. Yeah, you can read and you can pass a pass an exam, which is, you know, lovely, but but use it. Um, you know, actually utilize what you've learned and an experience what the frontline um, staff are doing rather than just going, so what do you think? How can we help you be better? And how would you, all that kind of questioning that you do, stand in their shoes for a day. Um, so you can feel what it's like if you're standing on a on a production line that your feet ache after a certain time, your back starts to hurt or your, your hands get tired because the gloves you're wearing aren't quite right. And really understand it so you can, as I say, feel their pain in a way so you can help find the solution for that mm. um, because from your qualifications and your experience you can understand how to control those risks that they're being um attributed to on their day-to-day -day work yeah i found it kind of quite um funny actually this last week with the heat wave um to that point like what are you doing with um with your how are you managing this risk you know ideally we we really want it to not take a met threat to life red warning for you to start thinking about this, but yeah. we're at that point now. So whatever, uh, yeah. what are you doing? Oh, we just, we just got them some bottles. Bottles, <laughs> bottles and they can have a drink of water. Oh, okay, cool. Um, or we're just taking some ice lollies round. Um, okay, cool. Um, anything else? Yeah. No, that's their job. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. meant to stand out there and pick this or do this and do that. Right. Okay. This yeah. is a lovely air conditioned office. I was going to say, whilst I sit here in my air conditioned office, you, know, yeah, you can yeah. uh, have an ice cream. Thank you very much. You know, massive salary. And, and you're just thinking, wow, that person out there is on minimum wage. They're outside. Yeah. They're exposed to UV. They're being forced to wear shit loads of unnecessary PPE. Um, and they're, maybe may or may not have sun cream on but at least they're getting a fucking ice cream at lunch <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i'm 100 with you. the 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 pieces especially with the sun cream bit um you know having worked in very male orientated workforces like manufacturing and 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 logistics we i remember getting a load of um sun cream and saying look you're working in the yard you need to work in the yard to like do your job but here's some here's some hats. Wear the baseball caps that'll protect you. Um, you know, and here's some. We put sun cream on the wall. Yeah. And after a week, it hadn't the there was it was still full. I said, why aren't why aren't you using the sun cream? Nah, I'll be all right. Okay, no, 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 no. We want to protect you, and it's a good thing to do. And well, the hat makes my head sweaty, and it's like okay, so you know, what else can we do to really protect you from the sun and the heat? And then a week later, the sun cream had been nicked off the wall. So it's like, okay. <laughs> so, it's, so you're using it at home? You want to steal it for home, but not use it at work? I, I don't understand. So uh, Wife has said, we're going on fucking holiday. On your way up, some sun, cream. Some sun cream. And you went, I ain't buying none of that shit. I'll just nick it off the wall here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah. I, to be honest, it wasn't, you know, I was, I was that guy. Like I was that I was born and raised in like typical stereotypical male dominated environment. And when I met my, my wife, my wife's really particular about sun cream. She always, James, can you put some sun cream on James? Can you put, I'm like, Sherry, it's 
in December. Like <laughs> that's an exaggeration. It's not that bad, but you know, as, as she's really particular about it. And um, and I used this. I genuinely used to say, it's embarrassing to say this, but I used to say all the time, can't get sun cream. You can't get sunburn in in England. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I have said that, and then come back like a pink lobster. Yeah. yeah. And then we went on holiday in England, and luckily it wasn't me. It was my brother-in-law who got absolutely burnt to a crisp to the point where we had to go to the pharmacist because he he's, it's an ongoing joke. It's just like he's sunburned feet. They were so red and swollen. He looked like a hobbit going on an adventure. <laughs> we take the mick out of him now. And, and even after that, it still took me a fair few years to start yeah. taking essentially skin cancer which is what we're talking about here yeah it seriously um but um yeah i was that guy for a very long time it and it's interesting actually that a lot of this stuff is like the social outside of work Mm. impact on the stuff in work as well yeah because it's that kind of everyday aspect isn't it you know i i have a lot of the uh, of the guys in the warehouses that were asking me, can we wear shorts? It's really hot. Can we wear shorts? Because the trousers we've got are too thick and heavy. It's like, well, to be fair, you know, you're walking around pallets with, you know, that can scratch you and there's nails coming out. You've got freight all over the place. And that little bit of layer of, of cloth is actually protecting your legs. You know, it's going to hook on, you know, if there's something sticking out, it'll hook on your trousers rather than the flesh within your, within your calves. So, so what we'll do is we'll get some, we'll get some lightweight trousers. So it's that consideration of you still do need to wear that PPE, but it's adjusting it for that thermal comfort aspect of it. It's like, you know, let's consider still keeping people safe, but also giving them that adjustment for those certain weather conditions. Because in the winter, we'd give them thermal, you know, thermal underwear. They'd they'd all have their thermals on um, because to keep them warm. So it's that it is the extremes because you can guarantee in a couple of weeks. Okay, months, maybe weeks is, you know, the schizophrenic English weather. But, you know, it's going to start getting cold and then people are going to forget how hot it was and then complain about the cold and we want to go home because it's too cold. It's adjusting your your day to day to the the situation that you're, you're in. And temperature currently being a hot topic. Oh, that's a bad pun. Um, about, <laughs> um, so, you know, a bit at the moment, it cold's going to kick in, you know, because if we are getting these extreme levels at the moment, why aren't we considering, but why aren't businesses considering the, the as I say, that thermal comfort piece as part of their risk management rather than reacting and being proactive and having these things already in place. So mm. when it gets hot, this is what how we're going to work now. When it's cold, this is how we're going to work. You know, increase breaks, not going, oh, it's going to reduce our productivity. Yeah, reduce it even more if you've got some guys passed out due to heat exhaustion, you know. So really considering the way that we work in these kind of temperatures is, is I feel, pivotal rather than and, and planning for it rather than just reacting. Mm. Yeah. Well, we kind of dive straight into that. Massively. Um, but- it kind of is similar to to essentially the so we we kind of follow a bit of a structure problem solution journey. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm kind of everything we spoke about is alluding to the problem anyway. But yeah, like 
specifically like when you were so you've got your current state so kind of put us in in the moment as to you know one of the projects or or like you know several of the projects or what was yeah. the kind of state that you were in that you weren't that you weren't a fan of what was the yeah. problem that you were trying to solve essentially so for me it was the underreporting of accidents okay massive underreporting of accidents um as from a reactive perspective and a proactive perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that a couple of the businesses I had worked in manufacturers and a, and a freight forwarders and both industries that I walked into at that point were massively underreporting. You know, there's, I said, there's no way you can tell me you've had, um, you know, with 2000 people over the period of a year, you've had 12 first aid accidents. Mm-hmm. I said, that's not, it can't be, that's not right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so again, when it goes to that kind of really that first 90 days of a new role, you kind of go in and you really dig deep. And as I say, I spent time with the front line and, and walked in their shoes to, again, not just experience it, but kind of gain their trust as well, because the previous safety guy was a clipboard warrior and uh, was a dictatorial finger wagger, um, you know, trying to break through that and go, I'm not here to dictate. I'm here to support you so you can go home the same way you got here this morning um and make the the day more pleasant you know most of the time works sucks to be fair there are times where work's awesome don't get me wrong um but there are times where it just sucks you've had a bad day and the last thing you want to do is go home aching and all that kind of stuff and they didn't you know that so previously it was if they reported an accident it was their fault well you did it wrong yeah. You did it wrong. Um, you're you're inadequate. And, and and at the time it was that real high attrition of of people in manufacturing. Get someone out, get a new one in. Right. And and they were they were fearful of their role. So they wouldn't report things. They they didn't want to stick their head above the parapet in case it got shot off. Yeah. Or they were, oh, it's or 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 um kind of branded as a oh, it's just accident prone. Mm-hmm. It's just it is accident prone not really then looking at the the depth behind it and the root cause analysis and all that kind of, it was just that real surface level of not wanting to blame someone and the fact of oh it's just a it's just a small cup i'll be fine i'll soldier on yeah but not really considering what it could have been that well actually that could have been an amputation of your of your finger you you could have chopped it off rather than just cutting it mm-hmm. so let's have a look at some of these things and 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 there was basically accident near miss and that's all they had you know two categories of of accident so having that that you know the near miss thing was not really they didn't know what it meant it was that well i've kind of just had a little cut so it's a near miss i haven't severed my arm off so mm. yeah it's not that bad yeah so i went in and um i wanted to find a way of of celebrating i suppose those proactive people that did report something so i wanted to be able to not go not congratulations you cut your finger or you've you know <laughs> mr jankle or you've hurt your back way um it's but it's the it's the recognition i think as well of appreciating them reporting it yeah. um of, of coming across and saying you know it's you know we'll see why that happened not immediately going in and going your fault you did it wrong yeah. so understanding and increasing that proactive aspect of it for me i felt was a really good way of driving the reduction of the blame culture 
so that if they did have a more serious accident, they weren't going to try and hide it. Mm. They weren't going to try and recategorize it so their statistics look bad. Right. I mean, you must have experienced this in, in, in your past as well, that, well, we don't want to call it a lost time accident. So we'll bring Bob in just to sit at a desk for a bit. So he's mm. still in on his next shift. I'm going, so just standing up to the senior leaders to go, no, it's statistic. It's just a statistic. Yeah. This is a person that we have injured as a business yeah. by something that we didn't do or we did do poorly. So let's not recategorize it. So your statistics look a bit different. Let's admit he had to go home and, and get better before he can come back. Mm-hmm. So really kind of changing the mindset um, of those businesses by being, as I say, proactive, recategorizing accidents, um, but then making it easy for people as well to be able to report those aspects so it's been quite a lot in that i I wanted to start on like the 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 first literal first thing that you said as well there i wanted to kind of jump in on that a little bit um the under reporting of of accidents how other other than just a general assumption e.g 12 over 12 years you're telling me one a year or whatever yeah um or or the, I mean, I get this all the time, particularly working with really small companies. Um, you know, oh, we we just have, we have an accident, you know, and and that that's how serious we take safety, James. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, we just don't have accidents around here, you know. And I'm just like, right, and and I've even got to a point where I've been having a conversation with um, with a customer, and it's been like, oh, there's all this paperwork stuff is, is bullshit, blah blah blah. And I said, well, look, look. There is parts of it where sometimes you just have to do something. You have to have a piece of paper, yeah. just tender for the job. And it says it's safety, but it's not. There are aspects to that. And that's the world we live in at the moment. And that's how it is. But there's this other side of it, which is about minimizing the clutter in that in that job to actually have impact on on the workflow and on the shop floor. And he was like, yeah, I get that, James, but it is all bullshit, isn't it? And I, I was like, look, do you want my honest response? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, my honest response is that the fact that you're telling me you've had no accidents ever is the most bullshit thing I've heard. <laughs> yeah. Um and 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 it was like and I was like shit, where's the how's he gonna take this? Um, yeah. And I was like, look, I'm pretty sure you've had an accident. And he was like, well, what do you mean? I was like, so no one's ever cut themselves. No one's ever, you twisted an ankle. No one's ever just gone all me back or no one's ever had any. Oh yeah. Well, we have that shit all the time. <laughs> and you're like, right. Okay. So yeah. like you got into this company and you've gone, right. I can clearly see there's an underreporting uh, of, of, of incidents how did you know that? How did you back that up? How did you find out that you're right and it is an underreporting uh, of of incidents, and actually not that they are just a really safe company? Um, yeah. With the caveat of like, I'm pretty sure you were right. I'm not saying you're wrong, but like, yeah. what work was done for you to back yourself up to justify that to your managers or the board or so on? Yeah, for me, it was again. It's it's that whole cliche of why well, I, I was speaking to the front line I was talking to them and when I'm working with them I'm going that you've got oh you've got a couple of plasters on your hand what are the, what, what are they off you know just gonna have you you know DIY or something oh no 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 I'll cut that on the on the door frame because it's been knackered for a month 
oh right okay and then you just hear these oh yeah I've done that as well and you just have that conversation going even if it's in a tea room or by the I used to smoke at the time um you know in the even in the smoking shed it'd be like oh do you remember that time and they'd be telling stories do you remember that time when so-and-so jumped up on top of the uh the machine and then tried to jump off or nearly burnt his face off on the on the steam that was coming you know all these kind of little things um one <laughs> one of the ones was um I was really hot presses, um, like a rubber compression, uh, rubber presses that I was working with. And a guy come in, walked past, oh, hi, Tiff. Oh, oh hello. Um, I said, oh, what's that in your arm? And he went, oh, pff, nothing. I did it at home. I went, why has it got an, a, a backwards imprint of our product name on your arm? He went, oh, um, uh, and this was like, you burnt it on the machine, haven't you? Well, um, uh, I said, you burnt it. You've, you've had an accident. So those kind of things that you just see and that feeling around, the, well, I don't want to report. And I said, so why haven't you said anything to anyone? Oh, it's fine. Um, I'll just put some cream on it when I go home and it'll be all right. Yeah. Who did you report that to? Why, why have you burnt your arm? And then having those questions, well, I have to put my arm into the machine to like kind of get the stuff out and the gloves only come up to my wrist and all this. It's like, well, hang on. There's a really simple solution for this. You know, what do you think if we did this? Oh, yeah, I wouldn't have burnt my arm if I had that. Mm. Right. Okay, let, let's look at it. So so really kind of, to, it, as I say, it is cliche of just talking to people and, and being observant as well, I think, as you're walking around, not just looking for the things that had gone wrong, but looking at the people, you know, because they're, the, they're your biggest asset within a business, you know, it is your people. Mm. So, you know, look at how they're acting and behaving and, um, and they're, you know, they're, they're, have they got rips all over their shirts and, and stuff where they've caught it on something? And, you know, it's those kind of things that, that made me realize that there was massive underreporting. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then, and then what was, uh, the response from the, your manager and upwards into chain when you're going in and saying, I know you think you've only had 10 incidents this last 10 years, but mm. Um, let me tell you, that's bullshit. Yeah. Like, was it a positive response or was it a like, God, fucking Tiffany, the health and safety <laughs> mad person? Yeah. Or like, did you prepare a case to evident that? And mm. how did you, how, how was that interaction? I was really lucky in that, in that first place I worked at, the, the manufacturing site I was in. We had a really progressive um, operations manager that had, had brought me in because they wanted someone to make a change mm. but they didn't know how yeah. um, they wanted you know they had seen these things but didn't know how to do it um so that's why they brought so i was i was to say i was lucky at that that point i kind of had that free reign of going tiff do what you need to do to kind of to help us be better yeah i know that we're not particularly safe in some of the things you know i see it and it just makes from a common sense perspective just makes them cringe a little bit um, but they didn't understand why they were having to do it or, or how to do, to make that change. Yeah. So I, again, I was really quite lucky in that aspect of it, of being able to influence that team and had their support as well to be yeah. able to go free reign tiff, do what you need to do. Um, and that was great. So I did, you know, <laughs> so it's like, you know, had those ideas, managed to get a couple of um, kind of key influencers from the shop floor to work with me as well, because I didn't have a team. It was the one man band show um, for some of these things. You know, you are the safety department as, as an individual. Yeah, yeah. And again, that as a learning and a development piece within the career is great. Being able to have that 
knowledge of, yeah, you can do quite a lot on your own, but you do need that support function around you and those key influences. Because again, they're going to know, ah, Tiff, I don't think that'll work. They won't get that. Or maybe that's too complicated. Can we make it a bit more simple? Um, can we make things easy for people so that it's, you know, they don't have to go find a book or a pen or a thing to report it. Um, yeah. And and that's what I had in the in the in the logistics company I worked with. It was um, was trying to make something easy for people, but also increase that transparency because it was just, the manufacturing place was quite small. So I kind of tested the bed out there, yeah. as I suppose. And as as you know, as a safety profession, you kind of take what you've done from one job when you move to the next one you develop it you kind of have that framework and make it fit to be um, more specific so you know that reporting piece again they didn't have that opportunity it was all it's all pen and paper yeah they'd, they'd write it on a post-it note and leave it on my desk fine <laughs> do you know what I mean? but that works when you've got 30 people when yeah. you've got a couple of thousand people spread across that's a lot of post-its that's a lot of post-its coming through the, the letterbox, you know what I mean? So trying to find a way that to to reduce that opportunity of, of removing that paper, um, mm. but still having that visibility increase. So finding at this mobile app, um, eye auditor that that put the you know the, the power in the hands of that frontline workforce, being able to um report accidents. At the, or, or even near misses and potentials, I call them potentials. Yeah. Um, so there's a potential accident. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I, because I tried to keep it simple because when yeah. people say oh, a near miss or a good catch or a hazard spot, there's a lot of training that has to go into that to understand those definitions. Mm -hmm. So for me, I called it a potential because it's a potential accident. Yeah. But if we didn't do anything about it, it could become an accident. Yeah. So I tried to keep it really simple. Yeah. I'm I'm going to annoyingly do what I did a minute ago as well. And I'll pause at that point and bring it back to one of your earlier points as well. Yeah, no problem. So, so you also mentioned the problem of like a blame culture. How did you hmm. go about, how did you go about kind of understanding that there was a blame culture? Um, how did you know there was one? Let's start there. You could, you could see the fear. And when you, when you're asking people about those cuts and burns and, and whatever on them, it's like, oh, I don't want to make a fuss. Uh, you know, it was that. I said, well, why don't you want to make a fuss? You've been hurt. Oh, I don't want to be, I don't want to be pinpointed. I don't want to, it, I don't want my name on the board to say that that was my accident because yeah. this is before GDP all went nuts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where you could say, Bob's had an accident. It's his fault. You know, it, it wasn't, you know, it didn't do that. Um, you know, it was it, before, say, before GDP came out or really went into that thing, you could not name and shame, but it's like, oh, you know, you've had so many accidents this year and you could, you'd be able to trend on the individual um, and you'd hear stories of like, oh, well, so-and-so reported so many accidents and they don't work here anymore mm. because it's easy to get people in and out at that point. Um, and it was the being able to say, you know, just let them know it's not their fault normally when it comes to an accident. When the root cause comes in, it could be a, you know, it's a, it's a process error or a, a procedural management issue um, rather than the end user's fault with regards to accidents. Don't get me wrong. You have dickheads out there that will try and do stuff they shouldn't be doing or just, you know, and that complacency behavioral safety bit came in of, um, well, I'll just, it'll be fine. I've done this a hundred times before. And yeah. that one instant. So 
you know, there was that piece of it. But the the blaming, you could just see that they just didn't want to be, they wanted to do their job and go home. If they hurt themselves, they'll sort it out when they go home. They don't want to make a fuss. Um, so like the, the language from management, was that, what was that like? Was that an indicator? Like were, were management saying, oh, that's just Bob, he's a fucking idiot? Or... Yeah, it was always, oh, yeah, he's accident prone. Yeah. It's an, oh, it's another one from Bob. Oh, you know, and, and it would be mentioned in those meetings, which were on the shop floor. And so somebody would go, oh, Bob, we had another accident. And it would get round because it wasn't massive. You know, it, it could get round of who's had another accident. Um, and the gossip factory, you know, as well in the, <laughs> it's, it's gossip, you know, one minute he's cut his finger, next minute he's had his arm amputated, you know, that whole, <laughs> it just gets to look a point. As well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, look at that. Um, so, it, it, yeah, and, and as I say, it, I think maybe, you know, we we talked about before we started recording, that British kind of culture of, oh, I don't want to, it's fine, I, I don't want to make a fuss, I don't want to be, yeah, yeah, I don't want to be, you know. And But I think as time has moved on, because I've been doing this a while, um, I think that, people are more open to be able to report accidents and not feel it's their fault. Maybe from the litigious kind of aspect of America and the phone calls we get of, have you had an accident the last three years? Oh, yeah, I've slipped over a grape in Tesco's, you know. Um, those kind of things that that people are like going, oh, no, I'm going to report this because yeah. three, within three years I might be able to make a claim on it. Mm. But I think that so that, but you're blaming then the company, which, you know, well, that's an, that's it's interesting. You kind of stumbled onto that. I said to that sounds really horrible. Actually, no, you haven't stumbled onto it, but you, you know what I meant. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. onto that point, um, because I, I've done quite a lot of work recently around delivering kind of like um, kind of human performance, human error, human people centered type work, and trying to help a company become a bit more like that. So. And one of the biggest conversations inevitably we all end up having is how do we move away from this emotional reaction of blame and and focus on learning uh, and improving? And ultimately, yeah. there's this there's this allergic reaction to it to be like, well, we're not going to hold anyone to account. Then the, the shop floor is going to go mad and blah, 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 yeah. blah. And that's what that's what the, the management go. Oh, and they just fucking do what they want. They're all going to go crazy. And it's going to be this apocalyptic workplace <laughs> tomorrow. Um, and that's their reaction. And yeah. then interestingly, the shop floor reaction is always, yeah, they're always blaming us. They're, everything's our fault, but they're shit. They're shit. This is shit. That is shit. Yeah. Don't pay us enough. They don't look after us. They don't care about us. This is rubbish. I said this to safety and they didn't listen to me. Or I said this to manager and they didn't listen to me. And one of the interesting conversations I always tend to find is that if you expect them not to blame you and, and it understand that there's concept to your failure because you're just human, mm. you also have to remember that boardroom is also human. Yeah. You have to try and have empathy for them as well, because I'm yeah. trying to get them to have empathy for you. That's my job. I'll do that. Yeah. My job is also to get you to have empathy for them. So you need to do that. Yeah. As well. So like if they're making a decision you don't like, you have an obligation to feed that back and say, yeah. I don't like it, but feed it back in a manner in which is understanding that they're just human trying to make a decision for the right reason. The yeah. same as you're human coming to work to try and do work for the right reason. Not Nobody comes to work to do a shit job. Well, the no. majority of people don't come work to do a shit job. And contrary to popular belief, I don't believe, I think there are some out there, the same as there are dickheads in on the shop floor, there are dickheads in the boardroom. 
I don't think the majority of board members come to work not caring about the shop floor. Yeah. This is the two-way street. And I think the latter, e.g. not blaming the boardroom, is distinctly lacking in our conversations of mm-hmm. being learning organisations and so on. So I'm, I'm quite happy that you, that you kind of touched on that. Yeah. But then fr- from that point as well, I think that, I mean, Safety Culture did a um, some research in that communication piece between, okay. between um, like head office and the, and the frontline workforce yeah. and nearly 50% of the frontline workforce said they couldn't put a face to a, a board members. Uh, they couldn't yeah. do it. They couldn't, they didn't know who they were. They were this faceless kind of um, company down the bottom yeah. uh, at the top. And it was, it was that still that kind of, you know, ivory tower and, and frontline or upstairs, downstairs, whatever kind of, however you want to put it, but having that communication from, from head office or the board and making it personal is something that I I've, you know, I really like the idea of, and and we, as I say, we've got a safety culture's got a feature called Heads Up, which you can do these like little videos, or you can communicate like new risk assessments and stuff, and it's through um, it's through a push notification, so it comes again onto their phone, so all the members of the front line will see this kind of video from the head. Oh, yeah, thanks to so and so, or it could be a recognition or a thanks, or a, this is a new process because it's explained why because. One of the things in safety I get is that we tell them that they have to do it, but not necessarily always tell them why they have to do it. Yeah. And if they understand why, they're more likely to do it. Yeah. It's like, well, you need to wear that PPE because health and safety law says, well, no, it doesn't. Law doesn't say that. We as a business at the board have made a decision to keep you safer, to make to ask you to wear this because it will stop you from having something fall on your head and smash your brain. You know, that kind of thing explaining why and having that communication piece but the heads up thing which is really really good you talk about communicating back it has this kind of feedback bit you can put in it so you can make a comment on the video which will go back to the person who originated it so it's this kind of feedback loop which i found absolutely invaluable um at the last place i worked at um we did a big health um a well-being campaign and being able to put things about mental health or physical health we did this whole big thing um which was kind of a holistic approach rather than just, again, I'm going off tangent a little bit, but the mental health piece is very focused on, but it's more holistic that we looked at. And this whole kind of social sustainability aspect, being able to communicate with them, whether they looked at it, again, you can have the acknowledgement button to say whether they looked at it or not, but having that opportunity to do it in a more creative way than banging out another email, sticking another poster on a board, because that becomes unengaging and a bit dull mm. or the email how many emails do you get every day and then there's one really crucial one in there going because of the heat today we're asking you to do this this and this to keep you safe or you know this process has changed so we're asking you to do this to keep you safe and you can see that they don't get through and when you talked earlier about it's not making a difference because we've always done that we've always sent out emails and done posters mm. and i think as a as a profession we need to be get more creative. Yeah. And and of how we do that. How do we communicate? Because I think that, like you say, is a key part, understanding the two ends of that spectrum of the board to the front line. That massive gap potentially in the middle could be the safety professional getting pulled in both directions. Yeah. Yeah. We told the health and safety person, but I've I've told the board, but I haven't had a chance to get back to you yet. Just bear with, because we've got all these. You know, all these things happening, all these one man band 
um, safety professionals haven't got that opportunity to do as much as they can in that short period of time. But using this mobile technology or, or, or apps or getting rid of that pen and paper piece to increase visibility, improve communication, for me, was an absolute game changer. Yeah, nice. And one one last thing I wanted to touch on, um, just off the back of that. But how it's the same question, really? How was the the board and management in response to you feeding back that, that, that there was a blame culture? What was their reaction to being told you're blaming the shop floor too much? They, again, it it took a while for them to understand that they realized that they were doing that. Yeah, and it was the well, well, who else is at fault? And it was because it's very outward. Well, it can't be us. I'm not on the shop floor. I wasn't doing anything. If we're not Why blaming is it me, as a board, how can it be my fault? We need you know, to blame. Yeah. We need to blame. Yeah, and it is. We need to blame someone. Yeah. Um, and there was that piece of, well, I'm not doing it. So how is it my fault? And it is that, well, if it's not theirs, it's got to be, it's not mine. It's not that, was well, it the safety manager's fault? You've mm. not given them the process or what, you know, those kind of pieces. And um, it was that kind of, lack of awareness or understanding of maybe safety as a as a whole yes they know they need to do it i think board members know they need to and again i am generalizing i'm sure there's very progressive board members out there that that you that are very pro safety and are very active within the um the safety uh, the day-to-day safety but you've got board members that are not I think we've all worked with those that just go, look, just get your job done. You keep people safe and keep me out of prison. Thanks very much. That, you know, whereas, um, but generally I think it's that lack of understanding. So I sent the, my, my directors and and I've done it in a couple of places on the IOSH leading safety kind of course, getting them to understand that Institute of Directors guidance of, um, you do know that as an individual, if you're not supporting or maybe not helping or omitting to do something, you as an individual could be as a director in your title. And mm. I think a lot of directors don't realise that. Yeah. The ones I've worked with, oh, I've never seen this before, Institute of Directors and, you know, oh, sentencing guidelines. Um, what? You know, the, the, it, it really, not that it scared them or gave them a fear. I think it just raised their awareness of that they as boards do have more of a responsibility or accountability with regards to safety. It's not just, they can't just palm it off onto the safety manager anymore. Um, I think part of it as well is like understanding the risk. I think everyone knows that if they don't pay the tax, HMRC will catch up to them at some point and, and absolutely destroy them. I think they know that if you speed and get caught, you're going to go to speed awareness, you do it again, you're going to get points, you do it again, you're going to lose your license. I think we know that if we get drunk and drive, we know that if we punch someone and all of this shit, we know that if we kill someone, the the company will be in trouble. Um, But I don't think a lot of, to your point, a lot of directors understand to the extent of which the company could um, Mm. be impacted. And then I don't think they, um, understand the extent of which they as directors can be. Cause I mean, even if um, it's really funny, obviously starting the company, um, and trying to interact with predominantly small to medium organizations, um, for the kind of technical side of our services, it's really interesting to see actually 
do you know what how, what we're talking about in the in the bubble of safety professionals is so far removed from like yeah. you know bob's welding on the shop floor yeah. or steve's roofing or bob the builder like it's so far removed from their reality where they employ five gangs or something like that and and they're just using downloadable rams that have got nothing in comparison to the working world because they get on site but I also don't think they they understand the extent of which that's a risk to them as mm-hmm. well as, as a person. Yeah. And really interestingly, like me and Sherry run the company together and, and Sherry's like, I just don't understand how this is hard to sell. Like it's a legal requirement. We have to do this. Like you go to an accountant to, to do your legal stuff for tax. Like I don't understand why why this is so hard to sell. And my mother-in-law was like, um, she, they run companies as well. And they were like, oh, our companies are kind of like commodities, nice to have. And, and like, so the second the economy gets rough, we, we lose, um, we lose business. She said, oh, but that won't happen with what you do in safety. And we were like, come on. Like, yeah. And, and it's gone to a point where we were like, actually, yeah, safety is like a nice to have. Yeah. I, nice some, have. Yeah. For many companies, yeah. it's, a, it's a nice stuff. Yeah, we'll just build the company. And the amount of people I talk to, like, we're not ready yet because we're still going to construction. We're still building the site. And then we're, we're installing the machines. And then what we'll do is we'll we'll start getting up and running. And when we're up and running, we'll talk to you to get some help yeah. because we will need some help. And I'm yeah. like, no, no, no. Now is the now. Now's the time, yeah. Now's the time. Granted, maybe you don't have the budget or whatever, yeah. but like – let's say you do have the budget, like why do you think you get running first, earn a certain amount of money and then need some advice on safety? Yeah. And there is a, there is a conversation there about budget and paywalls and, you know, startups don't have money. And I, I think there is a separate conversation mm-hmm. up there, but, but ultimately it, it is like a lot of companies are like DIY safety slash nice to have safety. Mm. And I do think there is an there is a large amount of safety that could be done DIY, depending on the risk that you're dealing with. Yeah. Um, but but there's a lot of companies out there that either don't realise the risk to them, or and or I just think it's a bit of a nice to have some paperwork. You know, yeah, well, cool. It'd be nice to have the little yeah. bits of paperwork we can send to our customers because that's what they think of it. Like I, I think, and maybe that's because the world's become inherently quite safe or at least first world countries are inherently yeah. safe, but there's still over a hundred people die every year. Millions of people get occupational cancers. Like it just, I mean, the list goes on. It does. And and it's quite interesting. Your point you mentioned about bringing you in after, because even within a bigger company as the safety team, well, we've, we've put this building together. Can you come in and check it? Mm. You've, you've just installed a load of racking in front of your emergency lights. So you've got to now re- retrofit all of that. Bring yeah. me in at the beginning. Bring yeah. us in at the start. Because safety is, again, is that foundation that you build on, which I think a lot of, um, again, maybe from a from a middle management to a, a senior management perspective, is well, we'll bring them in when something goes wrong. I mean, COVID was a great example of that, I suppose. That whole... Um, aspect of you know your business continuity plans yeah of like well we hadn't thought that this would happen but if you got a business continuity plan in place you would have done because you would have considered a mass pandemic what happens if all of your workforce have to work from home you would have had a plan in place rather than going crap 
you know, what do we do now? There's this big, we've got to send people, Boris says we've got to send people home. Right, what do we do? Mm-hmm. Safety person, come in. Can you can you help us? And it was just, you know, we had to become experts, you know, overnight of COVID and working from home and, and setting up DSE assessments remotely on a Zoom call. You know, the, prof- the safety profession had to adapt really quickly, I think. But as a benefit and a, and a, I think, a historical piece of that, it's kind of brought us more to the forefront within those senior managers to go, you know, these safety people stepped up and helped us through quite an unprecedented time. So maybe if they did it then, what could they have done proactively? So I do think that it's like the legacy of COVID maybe of, of yeah. the, for the safety profession. It took us to another level um, yeah. for that adaptability yeah. and creativity of how we kept people safe. Mm. Again, digressing apologies um funny i uh continuing that digression very briefly and a little funny anecdote um worked with a company during covid and um i was like how are we going to deal with with like everyone working from home and 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 having to continue running the business i said well what's your business continuity plan say (laughs) and they're like oh a business continuity is we pay this um we pay this company um, if our office goes down, they'll give us another office <laughs> in London. And I was like, well, how's that working out for you? They were like, well, we can't use it, can we? And I was like, yeah, it's a sarcastic question. Like, <laughs> um, like, so why was your business plan not just give everyone laptops and then they could have just immediately pivoted to working from home? Yeah. Like, well, we don't really like working from home because our business model for a long time is clock in, clock out. And that's how we know. Yeah. Um, that's how we know. you. And this was a big company. Um, and to the point where it, I even remember a meeting very early on um, where they were like, we're going to have to give everyone pay cuts. And I said, why is the business struggling? And they were like, actually, no, we're doing really well through COVID. And I was like, so why are we giving everyone pay cuts? Like, I'm confused. Um, and they were like, oh, because um, everyone's essentially had a pay rise. I was like, I'm fucking confused. What yeah. are you <laughs> What are you on about? Like, I haven't had a fucking, what's going on? Um, they were like, well, because we're not having to travel in for London anymore, everyone's at least saved like a couple of grand or, or for like, London waiting for London waiting. They're not right. trained. They're not. So, so they're saving loads of money. And I was like, right. And they were like, so we, we give them pay cut because everyone's had a pay rise. I was like, what fucking immoral bastard <laughs> thought that was a good idea. Like, yeah. and, and, and we, me and the HR went on a right little rant. Um, and it was just shocking. And that was a big company. That shows you how far we still have to go. But and anyway. that's that, sorry, that's that moralistic thing you, you mentioned there is really is yeah. really key because the question the amount of times I had the question, well, what do we need to do to be legally compliant? Hmm. Well, we need to just give people water, for example. You know, from a welfare perspective, you, know, you need to give them water and somewhere to drink it. But moralistically, and maybe from a cultural perspective, we should do more than that. That's like your bare minimum. I do think there's a fundamental flaw in that conversation. We we are rapidly going down a rabbit hole. Sorry. No, no, no. It's good. It's good though. I like it. But it fundamentally, I think there's a flaw in that conversation. And I and I struggle with what way to take this when I have a customer being like, I just want to be compliant. And I'm like, well, I'm not being funny. The legislation says. What's the risk? Manage the risk. Yeah. It doesn't say 
give them five bottles per hour. It doesn't say this amount of first aiders. It doesn't say there there is, there is subsequent regulations and approved code of practice that could be seen as uh, well, that are seen as compliant, but actually a lot of our legislation is so broad so vague and so vague, but in a way, beautifully vague, purposely vague because you just need to fucking manage the risk. So like, it's not about for me. Yes, there is a moral argument to it. 100%. But like, if, if everyone's like, well, I've got risk assessment, I'm compliant. And so no, it's a suitable and sufficient. So that means it works on the shop floor. So does it work on the shop floor? Oh no, the lads don't fucking do that at all. Then, then it's not compliant. <laughs> it's not compliant. Yeah. And it's not compliant. And, and that for me, that's, that's, the fundamental flaw in this conversation is we we seem to think that compliance is having the paperwork and then there's the the more ethical side of safety which is actually managing the risk and i'm like nah we need to read the health and safety at work out because i think it's pretty fucking clear yeah um anyway yeah i I like that that whole piece with risk assessment as well is that you you know can i see your risk assessments yeah yeah as they give you a folder with dust on it i went brilliant yeah. You know, when was the last time anyone actually read this or reviewed it or go and speak to the guy using that forklift? If you read the forklift risk assessment, what? Yeah. You know, those live documents that they should be, again, you know, you can put them into the hand of your workforce by by have by digitizing your your platforms and giving it to them so it's there, it's it's in it. And we put so much emphasis on the person. So, uh, again, I'm cautious of how long we, because we've still got like two parts of this discussion. Sorry. <laughs> um, don't say sorry. It's, it's, it's a good conversation. But like, so if we were to use a construction process example of like, you know, tender for a job, produce rams, do the job, or get approved, do the job, right? Yeah. So produce the rams without going on site, is a is already a fundamental flaw oh, in the process. Yeah. So, so we've got that there. But then what they do is like the person who say the customer, normally let's say a bigger company, um, a bigger company, big safety team, and they'll ask for the RAMs without them coming onto site. And this person is supposed to be a competent safety professional. Yeah. And then they'll say, oh, these RAMs have no relevance to like reality. Um so you're an idiot. We're not going to tender for you. And mm. but you've asked them to issue you a generic set of rams, and then you've mm. demonized them for issuing you a generic set, set of, rams. of rams. Yeah, it just, it just doesn't make sense to me. So let's say you don't demonize them and you accept them. So you have them on, and then you do nothing else because you think that you think that because we've got the rams, we're compliant. We're yeah, <laughs> I think again, the problem is not the tradie or the small the small business, you know, cladding or bricky or plaster or whatever. I don't think they're the problem. They're just doing as they're told. If you're the big customer company, mm. one CDM puts a lot of onus on you. But ultimately, if you're supposed to be the safety professional for that company and you're accepting that, you're complicit in that, and you have you have, in my opinion accountability within that process Definitely. I just think the whole thing is flawed and the whole I'm fed up of listening to safety professionals bitch and moan about rams and generic this and generic that and then go to work and fucking accept it the very next day yeah. because oh, yeah. commercially that's what they're required to do now very interestingly we're doing a project at the moment with a customer trying to solve this problem and we have essentially just said Let's accept that that generic RAMS process is not a safety process. It's a tender process. It's a commercial mm. process. 
And actually what they've procured us to do is to come up with a way that we actually dynamically manage the risk. So we're kind of taking that one process, working with the head of safety and producing a holistic risk management approach where we have the commercial risk, which is not getting on site. So we produce yeah. the generic RAMs. And then we've got the actual risk, which is what is what's enabling them to do their job and do it as safely as can as we can do, you know, suitably and sufficient. So we've actually said we can't get rid of that because it's commercial requirement. So we're going to have two. Mm. but but not to really it's more yeah, of a holistic yeah. approach but like you know essentially it's two ways of managing the risk yeah um, and are you doing that from a digitized perspective or are you still using uh, documents and stuff? yeah so did digitized um but what so what we're doing is we've gone and had a look at some a lot of the tech out there in the market they were very specific on what they wanted in that they wanted the shop floor to be able to talk the risk assessments Mm-hmm. So they wanted them to be able to um, record that conversation and that turn that into, um, you know, uh, data, evidence, and also the record as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was very specific. So that we got kind of essentially procured to find that and then build a project around it to upskill the shop floor on their knowledge of risk, the way to be able to converse risk, facilitate a conversation around risk mm-hmm. into this this piece of tech. So um yeah, fucking most interesting bit of work I've ever done in my entire career. Yeah. Um, and it's one of our first big projects as a company. And it's just I'm amazing. I can't wait to, to get into we've we've we're just kicking off now. So we've we've done the first bit, we've got the tech, we've put a plan together and we've got an idea of it. And now we're really starting to pick up of it now and we'll be rolling that out over the next couple of months that's brilliant yeah that's brilliant. anyway um so sorry so we've we talked about tech essentially and you've now worked for the the place that is your solution so like yeah. your solution for the to solve this problem was essentially to make it easier for them by introducing some tech um yeah. so what talk to me a bit more about that decision? Why this this particular type of tech, and also kind of what were you looking for? Um, so we'll stick on that for a little bit, and then really want to get into for the last kind of twenty minutes or so what the journey to that was as well. Yeah, well, as I said, I think that the um, the, the the piece was how I came across this safety culture was we had a HSE inspection um, in Heathrow where. Somebody in the Heathrow area thought it would be a good idea to climb into an x-ray machine just to see what it would look like. Yay! No, idiot. Um, so I say people do stupid things, which we can't unfortunately manage out. But the um, so HST came around and did a, uh, did a survey of all of the freight forwarders in the Heathrow area. And one of the things that we didn't have was a handover document for when the maintenance was being done. So I did what all good health and safety professionals do and Googled it. Google um, x-ray machine handover document and then I auditor came up and I thought right okay I'll download this and you know that'll cover me for the um I'll adapt it oh because I can adapt it that's very clever so how did how it worked and it kind of just sparked some of those creative ideas that I sometimes I call them brain farts so it's like oh I could, I could I could use it for this and I could use it for that and oh let's try it with a forklift so Forklift trucks for me, the, the the pre-inspection checks, again, folders and folders and folders of pre-inspection checks because you've got to keep them, right? Every day they had a different piece of paper that the guy on the forklift went tick, 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 stuck it in a folder. Never looked at, never inspected, and you can guarantee it took him 20 seconds to do it. It was just 
a tick boxing exercise. Whereas these templates, you can write them yourselves. I'm not a techie person, which my family think it's hilarious that I work for a tech company now. I can just about work my phone. Um, I have to get my teenage kids to help me do some of the stuff on it. Um, (laughs) It's like, how do we do this? Um, So, yeah, so I, I could do this template and I could give it to guys that they could do it on their phone. They could do a checklist on their phone. And again, across these 28 sites, I could see what everyone was doing. So I could see trends as well of what was coming up. So I could be proactive. Again, it's for me being a safety professional, it's about being proactive. That should be good. 70% of your job is proactively raising awareness, looking at trends, putting initiatives in, and then the reactive stuff is if something goes wrong. Yeah. Um, so, so this opportunity kind of flexible for you to be able to make it work for your company, making yeah. it available to them. So it's easy for them to do the right thing. And then also giving you the data to be able to make better decisions and become proactive. Essentially, that yeah. was the solution that safety culture provided you to solve. the yeah. problem. All yeah. Right. And then and then the opportunities, because it was quite a young, it's, it's still a reasonably young tech business when I've now but when i came across it back in 2017 it was still kind of developing so because i'm quite vocal i was going what what if it could do that and again brain farts all over the place but what if it could do this and could we put that in it and so i was going i started to be quite vocal in with their engineers and getting involved in oh we've got this idea about putting these actions and issues to be able to use qr codes the guys can immediately report non-conformances or accidents for example or hazard spots i went oh instead of the post-it note on my desk i could all have it on my phone so that one was an absolute no-brainer so removed the post-it note thing got these issues directly to a database as such that i could then look at trend analysis follow an action plan through of right so that's a manager at that site there's a that door frame that people keep cutting themselves on send that to maintenance through this app, they could fix it. Show me they fixed it in Aberdeen, for example. And then we've got that evidence then to show that these things are done. So uh, I, I had ISO 9114 and 45 that I also managed. Um, and that really helped with that kind of audit trial. Mm-hmm. So yeah. engaging with people. And, and again, it reduced that blame culture piece. We go back to it at the very beginning because we were proactively doing stuff. We were going, I want you to find things. Use your phone now and find shit that's wrong yeah. or that you want to make safer or an idea that you've got that could help with our environmental impact or yeah. could you know, improve a process flow to make us more efficient. It's not just about safety because I think, as you say, as I've said, safety is that foundation that can build as a business you build on. So having that opportunity for the guys to look at proactive, positive aspects as well as negative ones. And the and, and as I mentioned previously, that communication piece of being able to go, you know, thanks to James over in Aberdeen for spotting this. Look, we've now fixed the door. Yeah. And just yeah. quick. Go on, go on, finish on. No, as I say, just quick ways of being able to demonstrate that they are being listened to. Yeah. Going back to that you said we did kind of you see those again on a notice board somewhere or you know you said that you wanted nice coffee so we gave you but but from a more from a safety perspective you said that you reported this look you have made so instead of bob always always accident prone bob has saved you from having an accident because he spotted this and really spinning it on his head so looking at those proactive 
quick in issues that you can raise as a proactive piece and saying thanks to Bob, he's saved an accident. He saves one of you guys from having an accident today. Oh, yeah. So changing that blame culture to a thank you culture or a recognition culture that really gets that snowball rolling. Because if they've seen Bob's had a recognition or even things like I had bacon sandwiches on a Friday for the best proactive response. So you could, you know, the, that team won it. So if somebody in your team had the best proactive response and they actioned it, so I saw the door and I went and fixed it. Well done. Yours is the best of the week. You get bacon sandwiches on Friday. Nice. Food always works well, in my opinion, as a recognition. Incentivization is just nudging them to, to do that stuff. So that's always good. Yeah. I really like what you said there about changing it to kind of like a, an appreciation kind of culture. I think that's really interesting. How, how roughly, how long, was that quite quick? Did that pick up and go quite quick or did that take time to? It, it did take a little bit of time again, working with, um, you know, from a, it's a generational thing, trying to bring tech in to a, We've always done it this way, kind of paper ticking the 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 my generation, I suppose, that Gen X aspect of it that weren't brought up with technology that have kind of had it forced upon us yeah. so that we can just about figure out our phones. Um, you know, whereas you've now got, you know, the, the millennials and Gen Z that have always had technology. For them, it's a no-brainer. But yeah. trying to change that and educate them to go, QR codes was a great one. We'd put QR codes out. I would yeah. say, right, use the QR code to report an report an issue within Safety Culture and on the iAuditor app. And I'd get photos to my email of a QR code. Have I done it right? No. <laughs> so, okay, so then that was like, I maybe need to do some awareness and teaching of how to, um, how to use a QR code. Again, COVID changed all that when we're all QR coding into checking yeah. in places. That really changed the 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 culture i suppose but that took I'd, I'd say a good three to six months so when you're talking speed of a culture change quite quick yeah. um when you really think of a full culture change takes around seven years for a proper flip um from from my experience it could take quite a long time um but using that technology because the way it can be so quick and you can see the results quickly and the trends quickly um i think that that bit was um sorry there's a spider on my leg um <laughs> ew i didn't freak out um so yeah the uh, <laughs> so having that culture change that happened quite quick because tech works quick um and that's something i've learned now working here um because i believed in this product so much when it was time for me to move on from the previous role i was in I let the guys know because I had that good relationship with them to say, just to let you know, I'm going to be leaving. But don't worry, we're in my new place. I'm sure I'll I'll use this this again because it's great and it's changed my life um, with regards to it. And they went, well, hang on. Do you want to come work with us? I'm going, yeah. <laughs> and as I say, now I've bought the T-shirt and, um, yeah, I've been working with Safety Culture since January. Nice. And it pushed me out of my comfort zone immensely. Um, yeah. As I say, working with a tech company, but, I have missed, don't get me wrong, getting my hands dirty and 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 being at that front line bit. But the advantage for me now is the fact that I can not just help one company change their mindset and their culture. I can now work with multiple companies. You know, we've got hundreds of companies globally that we support. Um, you know, we've got hundreds of people, thousands of people that are, you know, that are using this tech 
in their workplaces and helping them optimize it and getting that culture change to flip it to a positive aspect for me is I'm pretty proud of what we're we're achieving and what we're doing and as I say I didn't think I'd ever work for a tech company I thought I'd always be that safety manager being in that day-to-day bit um but yeah it's it's a definite exciting change for me personally but I think there's opportunities for other businesses and the current businesses and customers we're working with to to you know revolutionize how they they manage safety to to improve that communication between leaders and workers train people from a micro learning perspective not just sitting in a classroom all day and then doing it again in two years time with our red app um thing but it's it's as i say it's yeah it's really exciting for me at the minute and being able to talk to you about stuff like this as well is 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 just exciting i love it well, what a journey you've gone on as well, like to have a couple of times in your, in, as a safety professional, you know, this is my career, this is where I'm going. Um, and to, to, you know, all of those times where you keep coming up against a very similar problem to find the solution in the same technical solution each time mm-hmm. and then get on so well with that piece of tech that then end up bloody working there. And it's <laughs> yeah. in- completely changing your career really i mean go from safety to like customer engagement and, and kind of support yeah. and stuff that you're doing um but but ultimately wouldn't probably be able to i think that's also quite a testament to the company to be able to go well actually we could use you to help our other customers yeah have success with our solution our technical solution the same as you have and they've kind of saw that and gone, hmm, that would be quite interesting. And now that's essentially what you're doing. I think, wow, what a what a journey to go yeah. on. Yeah, and, and it's great as well because, you know, our sales guys and our and our tech guys, they're awesome. They're so knowledgeable. And it, I have no clue what they do half the time. How do you make it do that? As I say, I still struggle with my phone. But, you know, what? And, and when I say to them, oh, can we, from a product, can we just move that there? And you just see the engineers go, Oh, that's so much, you know, that's really complicated coding where, you know, layman here goes, can you just not make it do that? This is technology, right? You can do anything. Um, So, you know, so that's really, so for me, it's that awareness, but being able to teach them what I know about safety so that they can then talk with confidence and with that little bit of additional credibility as well, that our customers can go, oh yeah, that, so they do know about safety, not just about a tech app. So they do understand the the implications and the and the improvements that that we could make, and these ideas of how we can use the features, and that's the beauty of the safety culture platform. To be fair, is that it is so flexible and bespoke. You mentioned it earlier about it being flexible. It's not set in stone. You can, as I say, that that whole being able to have other safety professionals like me having brain farts and going, yeah. "Oh, but I could use it for this," and our customers blow my mind sometimes of going, I, I would never have thought of doing it, using it for that. I'm going to tell other people. So, um, so that it's like kind of, we've got a community on LinkedIn, uh, the S the safety culture customer community, and we're starting to share how they're using it. So it's yeah. kind of this, it's starting to build and grow um, and learning from each other. And it's, as I say, it's it, like you say, it's great as an opportunity. 
That's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. If um, if people wanted to learn more or get started with with safety culture, what's the kind of best way for them to do that, Tiffany? Download um, and get cracking with a free version, maybe. Yeah, first, yeah, definitely. Have a go on the free version. So we're on the yeah, we're on the mobile app. It's free to download and free to free to use. Um, I think when you start to really expand. Uh, um, and, and see what its capabilities are. There are obviously op- other opportunities to for, for the more premium and enterprise versions that we we can provide. But yeah, uh, our um, our CEO Luke Ania, he, he said once um, that if he could give it away, he, could, he would love to just give it away to everybody. But mm. um, but we can do that. We can give it away. You come and use it, utilize it to that point where you know you want to start using it for more things and utilize it and it's it's on the app store on android and on i on apple on the apple store look up iauditor um or edapp which is our micro learning app as well so we've got loads of free micro learning courses you can download um we've got i'm working on some at the minute that are going to be iosh approved um as well as we've got environmental ones on there and some um, self-development ones of your dog in the background um so yeah you, you can just download them on the app store so there's edapp.com and safetyculture.com online as well so have a look at all of the the great features that we've got or you can find us on linkedin um or me on linkedin and uh just come and ask i suppose and i could talk about it forever i think that's the <laughs> i'm trying not to talk about safety culture too much because this isn't a sales plug because uh, i'm not a sales person i'm a health and safety person but as i say the just the way that it's changed how i worked and and how it's changed other businesses that i've worked with it it just as i say it gets me really pumped and excited that we can we can keep people safe every day um mm-hmm. And and give them that power to be able to report stuff and and communicate and yeah I'll stop because <laughs> I'm gushing. <laughs> when you believe in something so much as you do, you know it's hard to not sell it, isn't it? Because you yeah you've seen how much it's helped you, so you just want to help other people by yeah. getting them in on it. So I appreciate that, and thank you for kind of taking us into um, into that quite quite deeply I mean, we probably went a little bit too much on the on the problem and the tangent side and we didn't really yeah. get much time to talk about the, the journey and the rollout which is a shame um and i would have continued but I, i'm already late for a call yeah. now. So, uh, <laughs> as am i it's the it's the it's the life now is the back-to-back zoom calls yeah but, um, literally one yeah. i've just sent an email saying it's okay you'll be you'll be uh late so that's good i'm not gonna get <laughs> someone off <laughs> uh, but but ultimately, thank you very much. And all of the stuff that you mentioned, safety, we will we'll link safety coaches website, your LinkedIn as well, in the in the description below. If you can send us a link to the, uh, I don't know, can do you have to be a customer to go into the the safety culture customer community? I assume. Um, so, idealistically, yes, I suppose. Um, but even if you're using a free app. Uh, a free version, just let us know, and 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 you want to learn more about how people are using it. Yeah, please uh, give me a give me a message and request to join the the group. And because um, I'm manage it, so I can go click. Yes, um, but yeah, as I say, it's it's just been a great opportunity, James, to talk to you, and I appreciate having another safety person to talk to as well. I think we do sometimes feel quite isolated as safety professionals, and that's something I've definitely learned over the over the few months that well, years that COVID kicked in is being able to talk to other safety professionals and have that external support. Um, I've just started volunteering with One Wish um, with Louise Hoskins group um, and, um, you know, women in safety and being able to talk to other fellow safety professionals like yourself. um, 
I really appreciate the the opportunity you've given me. So thank hey, you. no worries. Thank you. It gives us content to put out as well. So <laughs> content in content is king now, isn't it? Yeah, right. I'm not doing a TikTok dance. Sorry. Um, uh, do, do the new one. The ability, yeah, that one. And the, um, yeah, I, it now. <laughs> no, I, I also really enjoy it. It's, uh, I find it quite cathartic actually and therapeutic to have these conversations. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't really? feel like work to me. It's just a chat. So, well, it's good. It doesn't feel a lot of work because podcasting doesn't pay at all. So. <laughs> oh, does it not? Okay. <laughs> Don't start one. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> Thank you very much, uh, Tiffany, and uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much, James. Take care. Okay, peeps, hope you enjoyed that conversation. Like I say, if you're dealing with something like this, you've done a project, something doesn't have to be a big, fascinating, amazing culture change. It could be absolutely anything. It could be like, when I went in, this company had fuck all and I just got the basics built up. Like, let's talk about that. Come on, the problem was I had fuck all. The solution was we needed something and I the journey was I got there and we'll talk about it. So... Whether it's something simple or it's all the way up to some fancy ass fucking incident investigation or culture change, it doesn't matter. We're all doing stuff that's helping companies and businesses around the world and people ultimately be better. And I want you to come on and talk about that. So if you've got a project that you've done or you're doing, email me, james at riskfluentltd.com and we'll get you on for one of these case study episodes. Otherwise, don't forget to check out all the links in the description, all of the social medias and all of that stuff. And if you need anything from RiskFluent, just email me, james at riskfluentltd.com. I'll catch you next week. Safe. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson.